Beyond the Pelvis is hosted by Dr. Keneal Siegel, a pelvic floor PT and intuitive healer, and Laura Haraka, a somatic practitioner and breathwork facilitator. Each week, we explore alternative and holistic approaches to healing chronic pelvic pain and other painful or chronic conditions. Join us and other experts in mind, body, and spiritual healing as we discuss a wealth of modalities ranging from ancient practices to modern therapies that challenge the conventional Western model of treatment. Let's get right to it. So in today's episode of Beyond the Pelvis, we, Laura and I, are we're just having a conversation. We're getting to know each other and we're introducing ourselves a little more to our audience so they know who we are and a little bit more about why we're doing this. It will all make more sense with the more you know. So here we are. Hi, Laura. Hi, Canel. I'm so excited to be here with you today just to discuss all things about the pelvis. So let's get to it. Right. Yes. So I think it's important to share our history and our story. So how we basically ended up where we are today. So why don't you go first? Who are you and what is your work? What are you doing? So who am I and what I do? You know, it's so funny because I've been on a ton of podcasts myself And people always say to me, okay, would you like to introduce yourself? (laughs) Right. Right. And you always, I always say something like, oh, my name is Laura Haraka. I am a somatic experiencing practitioner and all the things I do for a living. Right. But it's not who we are. And I loved how you asked that question because you said, who are you? Yeah. And I think that's really what we need to think about when we talk about the pelvis and when we talk about pain conditions, it's, that's not who we are. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I'm compassionate. I'm empathetic. I'm friendly. I am a mom. I am married. I have a career. So there's so many things. I also am stubborn a little bit. I have, I'm, I have a really competitive edge to me. (laughs) I don't like to fail. So I'm so many things, right? Right. So that's basically who I am. You are. And I really appreciate the fact that you included all parts of who you are, Mm -hmm. right? We all want to share just the good things. Here's how I'm great and fabulous. But then we shy away from sharing. But here's how life really hits me and how I am as a result of it, you know, the shadow part of who we are. So thank you for sharing that. (laughs) It's really important to do that and acknowledge that all those parts are who we are. It's still part of us. You know, I've heard people say like, oh, that's not them. No, it is. It's part of who they are. And you have that part of you in you as well. And it's just about recognizing and taking ownership for that. And, and then you have a choice. Who are you going to be right now in this moment? Mm-hmm. So. True. And it's like, I think that all who- really ties into like the whole like spiritual part of what we're going to discuss. You know, this is not just about mind and body, there's spirit as well. And that who we are, all parts, the light and the dark really expresses that very well. Yeah. And who I am now is someone that's on a continuous journey a continuous journey of healing, a continuous journey of learning about myself, loving myself. And I'm going to continue to stay on this journey. So it's, you know, it's about showing people, right, that we're no different than them, (laughs) that we're all the same. So really are at the end of the day, we're all just here experiencing life together, trying to, you know, live in harmony exactly (laughs) or not depending (laughs) on how you express that (laughs) exactly we're all here just trying to figure out life and it's a continuous journey for all of us and the things that happen to us or for us depending on how you look at it is just part of the experience it's part of the journey and there is no end to the journey it's because it's the journey the point of it is to learn from the journey 
Exactly. Exactly. And I try to not look at what's happened to me. For those of you that don't know me out there, I experienced chronic pelvic pain for four years. So I don't look at myself as, oh, look what happened to me. Mm. Because if that didn't happen to me, and you know, I didn't want to experience pain like I did, but if that didn't happen to me, I wouldn't be sitting here with you today. And I wouldn't be bringing awareness to different modalities to heal from pelvic pain. Right. So I am glad it's part of my journey and that I can use it to learn more about myself. Right. So it didn't happen to you, it happened for you. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's what I meant when I said, you know, aware of that. Didn't happen to you, happened for you because here you are sitting, you are together talking about chronic pelvic pain different modalities, healing, spirituality, like we wouldn't be talking about all of these things if that did not happen to you. So if that didn't happen for you, who would you be? Who would you have been still? Mm, Yeah, well, I was a math teacher for years. And I became a stay at home mom and raised my two daughters for 20 years. And it got to that point where I needed to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I, I honestly loved my life. I was a soccer mom, cheerleading mom, home and school president, class mom. I had a lot of fun and I did a lot of fun things being home from my kids with my kids, you know, but it all changed one day. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because I don't know about you, but I always remember dates of something when it's um, maybe negative, right? Right, right. You always remember where you are, what you were doing, what you're saying, um, if the sun was out, you know, when it's like a negative date. And that's the You remember the details. Yeah, you remember all the details. Exactly. Exactly. When it's something like that. And I always remember May 2nd, 2015. Mm. And I remember where I was the day before. And those two dates stick in my mind, you know, all the time. And my life changed those two days. Because on May 1st, it was a beautiful sunny day. And I was walking around a track at Brookdale Park, watching my daughter play soccer. And I remember walking around that track saying, how grateful I was because the day before was my birthday Mm. and I'd went to lunch with my friends. um, And I'm like, wow, I have a really great life. And I remember looking up at the sky, remember the shape of the clouds. I'm like, life's great. And then May 2nd happened. And I literally went to the bathroom and felt like I had to continuously go to the bathroom all morning. Mm. I thought nothing of it, like nothing of it. I'm like, I must have a UTI, right? Right. But I never had one in my life. So I had no idea what that felt like. So I waited a few days and I just decided to have some cranberry juice, some water, yogurt. I don't even know if those were the remedies, but those were things that like, I remember hearing about that they help for UTIs. And it didn't get any better. And I went to the doctor thinking, ah, I'll just get an antibiotic. Let's just get a pill. Let's just fix this. Right. And how long was it that you waited to go to the doctor? Um, I think about two days. Okay. I gave it two days and then I'm like, oh, this is silly. I'm just going to go to the doctor. And when he told me there was nothing wrong, I remember like looking at him like, no, there, this, there must be something. Do the test again. And he goes, all right, Laura, I'll run it again. Still nothing, nothing wrong. There was no UTI. So that's when fear started setting in. Naturally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It's normal to get scared Yeah. when we're feeling something and we think it's, it's a UTI and then it's not. It's like, okay, what's going on with me? So then you go in high alert, right? Like, oh God, what's going on? So he told me to just go to a urologist and it took me a couple of weeks to get the appointment, Mm. which honestly, it really felt torturous. I have to say Mm -hmm. waiting. 
And I remember he said to me that I, he wanted me to have some tests done. And I literally cried in his office being like, you cannot send me home right now without giving me something or doing something now. He was such a nice guy. And he literally said, hold on. And he made time for me that day. And he started some testing on me. It wasn't pleasant. I will tell you the testing. In the one test he did, I believe it was a cystoscopy. There was nothing wrong. So then that was even more terrifying that nothing was wrong. And I knew, I, I mean, I was feeling, it was pain after now. It's been a few weeks at least of feeling this constant sensation. And he said, let's get you in for, for some more testing. So I did go in for some more testing a couple of weeks later and he did a urodynamic study, which I don't know if you know what that is, but it is, it is also pretty invasive. And they really didn't find anything either. He gave me some medication um, to see if that would help. And it really didn't. So I went back for a second urodynamic study and with a different doctor, because he asked me to go see another doctor in the practice. I went in, had it done. He called me in his office and I went in thinking they're going to find something this time, something. And I went in that office and he looked at me and he said, there is nothing wrong with you. You need a psychiatrist. Wow. I feel like your story, I've heard it so many times, you know, mm -hmm. I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist and I have people who come in and they share that exact story so often. And then that's how they end up coming because they say they found nothing but I'm feeling this, I'm experiencing this, something must be wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What they're looking for is physical, right? Exactly. And they're not going to find it. Nope. And they didn't find it. Yeah. They didn't find it. And I remember going into my car and just sobbing. Right. I think I sat in my car sobbing for like an hour before I could even drive home. Wow. So that was... um. That was probably one of the most lowest points I was at, just not knowing, you know, what was wrong with me. And honestly, I went on a three-year quest after that, because like I said before, I'm competitive, right? So I was like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to be the one to figure this out. And I started calling doctors all over the country. I traveled all over. I went to Tennessee for a exploratory procedure and an experimental procedure. From I New went, Jersey, we should say that. From New Jersey, yes. We're both I, in New Jersey. Yes. So you flew all the way to Tennessee. Yes, I flew all the way to Tennessee for a procedure, which didn't work. Hmm. I flew all the way to Texas wow. because, you know, they found nothing with my bladder, but they started digging deeper. I went for MRIs and ultrasounds and CAT scans and MRNs and all that stuff. And they did find things when they did that. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Cause you're going to find something in you're our body. You're going to find something. If you go looking, you're going to find. Exactly. Exactly. But that doesn't mean they were the cause of my pain. Of course not. But because of my competitive nature, I said, I called a Tarlov a cyst specialist in Texas. He couldn't get me in for three to six months to look at my scans for an appointment over the phone. Wow. So I said, well, how long for an appointment in person? And they said, oh, we can get you in in a week and a half. And you flew to Texas. So, yep. I was on the beach, actually, on vacation with my family. And I remember walking the beach with my cell phone in my hand. I made the reservations for the airplane at that moment. And uh -huh. I flew to Texas so he can look at my scans. And I flew home the, the same day. Anything to get answers, right? I was desperate. Right. I was completely desperate to get answers. Okay. And? Yeah. And <laughs> he felt it wasn't the Tarlov cyst that was causing my pain. Right. But it could have been. Right. So I was given a very ambiguous answer, but what they did find also was pelvic congestion syndrome. Hmm. So what that is, is I have varicose veins in my pelvis. 
And the radiologist told me, the interventional radiologist, who was a great guy, said that they were the largest pelvic veins he has ever seen. Okay, he's from a top hospital in New York City. Okay. So he's like, Laura, these are huge. And I'm just telling people that because if other people find these things, he told me I had the largest ones ever that he's ever seen. I mean, what does that do to a person when you hear something like that, right? I'm like, this must be really bad. Exactly. And then what happened after he told you that? Let's get the surgery. So he embolized my ovarian veins. What they do is they go through your neck and they send coils down your ovarian veins to stop the blood flow because there's too much blood flow going to that area. Unfortunately, that didn't work either. You had the largest, most congested pelvis he'd ever seen, did the surgery, and it didn't do anything. Correct. And the reason we know that is he did an MRI afterwards too. That wasn't the problem. Exactly. And but like, here- just think about how much fear, how much more fear that added mm-hmm. to your already fearful nervous system when a doctor, yeah. a medical doctor who you're thinking he sees thousands of this all the time. Mm-hmm. And he looks at you and says, this is the worst I've ever seen it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that do something to you? Oh, yeah. I was petrified. Of course. <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, this must be it. Of course, because you were hoping. he. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hope. There was hope, right? There was a little, I got hope every time I went There's to another hope. doctor and they of said, course. oh, you know, it might be this or it might be that. I'll just say one more thing about the surgery. I, at the time, was on oxycodone mm. and clonopin, addicted to both. So when they did the surgery, they did not give me enough anesthesia because something counteracted it with the medication I was on. So I was awake for the mm. entire procedure. But as you get to know me, you'll know I like to talk a lot. So I spent the entire surgery talking to the nurses about movies and- While you were awake? While I was awake, under the surgery. Wow. Having the surgery. But you didn't feel anything or you did feel? Um, I I could feel it happening. Okay. Um, There was some numbness. There, But I wasn't in pain. Right. Okay. It was pressure. You were aware of the pressure. Got it. Okay. And I could feel the coils going into my veins. Yeah. I still would think that that would be traumatizing for the body, but maybe not. I don't know. I mean, I feel like birth is traumatizing for the body as natural and normal as it is. It's traumatizing to the tissues because there is an injury Mm -hmm. and the body does have to repair and heal. To me, that's trauma. So, well, you know, looking back now, there's so many things I have to still work on to release some of that trauma, but that wasn't the worst that I've had to do. When I look back, I look back at the procedure I had to do for myself. I had to catheterize myself twice a week. Right. So, and some people might not know what that is, Yeah, but you know, people listening may very well be experiencing that. But for someone who doesn't know, what does that entail? You're the doctor. You're the one that knows more than me. So please tell me if I say this incorrectly, (laughs) but I had to use a tube and put it in the opening where the urine comes out. The urethra. The urethra, correct. And my urethra was completely inflamed too, Mm -hmm. as well. I don't know about you guys, but I never really looked at myself in a mirror. And I know so many people out there don't. Most people people don't. So I didn't really know what I was looking for. And it was real. That was even more scary, you know, and now I know the female anatomy a little bit more than I even want to. Quite well, right? But so I had to take this tube and put it in the urethra, which was inflamed. Mm. And I had to put a medicine in the tube and sit with it in the tube and then take the tube out while the medicine coated my bladder. Right. So the medicine was administered through the tube, which was attached to your urethra. Correct. You got it. Small tube because it has to go in. Very, very small tube. For anyone, it's 
not comfortable. But for someone who is, is experiencing inflammation, it mm-hmm. is probably worse. Well, the worst part about it was trying to figure out where to put the tube. Wow. And I'm being a completely vulnerable and honest here. I didn't know exactly where to put it. When I talk about competitive, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. It out. I, I'm going to figure it out. And I watched videos and I sat in my bedroom with the door locked for six hours. Wow. And one thing you'll know about me too, is I don't exaggerate. I was in a sweat. I was watching videos until I figured it out. So that was more traumatizing to me than the surgery. You, you know? were alone and you didn't know what to do or how to do it, but yeah, you felt and, like you had to do it. And what do you do? Say, call your friend up. Hey, can you right. help me find my urethra? Right. Like that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. So I know this question might come up and people might be thinking this, but did someone show you how to do that? Mm-hmm. Like yes. a doctor, did a doctor or a nurse do that for you and then tell you this is what you need to do? Or did they just mm-hmm. hand it to you and say, you're going to do this on your own? Right. Good question. So yes, I was told that I had, I was told I had 10 different diagnoses, just so you know. Mm-hmm. So each time I went to another doctor, they Got found something one. else. Of course. Exactly. So I was told by one doctor that I had IC, interstitial cystitis, Mm -hmm. right? Which is the inflammation of the bladder. Mm -hmm. And before I went to him, I didn't have bladder pain. And then you left with bladder pain once you got that diagnosis. Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. He told me that the seltzer I was drinking was bothering my bladder. So I went on a strict diet. And the funny thing is everything got worse Mm -hmm. because I started fearing food. Of course which didn't bother me before the appointment. Right. So he did show me how to do it, but you got to remember when our nervous systems are on such high alert. If so, you're going to teach someone something, right? Mm -hmm. And when they're like all pent up and nervous, is that the time you're going to learn it? Or is the time when you're relaxed? Right. It's hard to learn something when you're in a sympathetic activation state in your nervous system. Yeah. And you being a former teacher- I'm a former teacher as well. I taught science to high school and middle school. You know, that's not a good time to teach somebody anything because it's in one ear, out the other, literally in one ear, out the other. They're hearing you, but they're not listening. And I'm addicted to Oxy and Clonopin. Talk about a combination for disaster. Mm, Right. But I taught myself. Yeah. And I did it and I figured it out. So twice a week, I would do these bladder installations to help myself, which did not work either. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So it sounded, it sounds like, you know, you had this sudden onset of pain, which of course triggered a lot of fear for you. And it just progressively got worse. The more doctors and providers you saw and the more diagnoses you received and the more procedure was given to you, you got worse. Exactly. And what made it even worse was I went to a doctor, um, for injections, uh, to help the pelvic floor. I went to multiple doctors for injections. This was, this was one of them. And he's called me in his office and he said, you need a prescription for oxycodone. And I go, I don't want oxycodone. He goes, trust me, you need to get the pain down so you can think straight and heal. And that was my downfall. Right. And I can see the intention behind that was good. Mm-hmm. But man, what you got didn't help, right? Right. And then I got addicted. Substance. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it does make sense. You do want to bring the nervous system down to a point where it's like, huh, okay, it's not so threatening you're at a a baseline where you can sort of look at the bigger picture and really think about like, okay, what's really going on? Calm the nervous system, calm the inflammation so that you can address the things that are causing it in the first place, get to the root cause. But yeah, the substance was the problem. The substance was the problem. And there could have been other ways to help my nervous system settle down other so than that, prescription. I mean, there uh, could have been other prescriptions, but there are other things that are non-prescriptive that could also calm the nervous system. Because at this point, your nervous system is on high, high alert. Very high happening alert. for a while. You're just in like constant fear, fight or flight, sympathetic exactly. overdrive. 
Exactly. It was to the point I'd get up out of bed in the morning and I'd feel my feet just not touch the floor because I was so tense my entire body in wow. such a high alert state, hypervigilant. Like, is, yeah. the, is it going to come now? Is the pain going to come? That I couldn't even relax my body at all. I think now is a good time to talk about the difference between sympathetic and parasympathetic, right? It. The nervous yeah. system, right? Mm -hmm. Sympathetic puts you in fight or flight. That's what people are used to hearing, fight or flight. That's basically a lion's running after you. You need to fight the lion or you need to run away from the lion. That's the fight. That's the flight, right? And I felt like I was getting uh, chased by a lion all the time. All the time, right. And that's and the body tenses up. Blood leaves the trunk and goes to the limbs because you have to prepare to fight or you have to prepare to run away. You can't think clearly, but you're thinking clearly about the fight or the getting away but everything else your brain just doesn't care not important right now because we need to survive this incident but for you it was like the lion or the tiger was running after you from day one for four years exactly which is not sustainable <laughs> the body <laughs> cannot tolerate yeah. that for that length of time and you can't heal in a sympathetic state no and it's really just shifting from sympathetic to parasympathetic, which is what's supposed to happen when you do fight the lion and it's down and you have a chance to run away. You've you've escaped and you're hiding behind the tree or in a cave and it's like, oh, okay, now I can calm down. Or you're just running away from the lion or the mm -hmm. tiger and it's safe and it's like, okay, now you can calm down. You never had the opportunity to calm down. We're supposed to be, yeah, you're supposed, we are supposed to live and parasympathetic the majority of the time and only supposed to be in sympathetic when it's a situation where we have to fight or flight, right? But if we're under this constant chronic stress, it doesn't come down and the body's not meant to stay in that state for long periods of time because it's not sustainable. The heart beats too fast. The muscles become too tense. There's just so many things. Blood rushes away from your whole trunk. And that's the parasympathetic, the rest and digest. It's going to be hard to sleep and it's going to be hard to digest food. Mm -hmm. and, and that's just part of it. I mean, there's so much more to it than fight or flight or rest and digest. There, there's right. just so many more to it. But, you know, to keep it really basic, that's really what it is. Exactly. And what you it is. were feeling in you were living in this sympathetic overdrive for so long. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was living in this this state. And my family was suffering. My kids were suffering. They didn't have their mother. They couldn't sit on my lap. Mm -hmm. Financially, I was so strapped with just imagine all the flights and the train rides and the trips to New York City, and medical expenses, the medical expenses. Right? Yeah. I could have put um, my daughter through a year of college with the amount of money or probably two with the amount of money I spent on, you know, medicine and things like that, the medical world. Right. But I got lucky. I got lucky because my daughter, actually, my daughter, Anna, uh, she came home one day from work. She knew I was, I was depressed. I, I wasn't going anywhere. I didn't know what else to do. I had nowhere else to turn. And she said to me, mom, a friend of mine used this hypnotherapist, uh, Caitlin Peterson. And she said, she lives near us in New Jersey. She said, why don't you give her a call and try? So I did. And honestly, that's when my whole world changed. July 17th, mm. 2017. Wow. I went to see her. And I actually remember where I was when I made the phone call two weeks before that. That's how monumental that was to me. And I started seeing her and she started doing hypnotherapy sessions on me. And there was a slight change. But like I said, my sympathetic nervous system was just stuck and it was going to take some work to get it back down into a good window of tolerance yeah. where my nervous system had time to shift up and down. Yeah. So one, Caitlin saw how depressed I was and I would sit at this hallway before it got to her office and it was a long, long hallway and I would sit there and wait for her to come and I'd always be her first appointment. I was home. I wasn't doing anything. I'm like, I'll take the first appointment. It was so you I had stopped on. teaching at this point. I wasn't where I wasn't working. The only thing I was doing was I started a small dog walking business mm. just so I could 
walk a couple dogs just to get out a little bit of my house. Right. But um, no, I had stopped teaching a long time ago. I wasn't really doing much. I wasn't going out with friends. I didn't socialize. It was like I disappeared off the face of the earth, to be honest with you. It was like I didn't exist. And I was in my own little pain world of Googling, figuring out what was wrong and researching. It really takes over your personality, right? It changes oh, yeah. who you are. And neuroscience has proven that pain changes your brain. I mean, I mm -hmm. experienced pain not as intense as you did, but I remember postpartum, I had, I think it was after I had my second and I had um, a vaginal birth. For that one and I had stitching right because I tore and I remember it was just like this constant pain that I couldn't do anything about and I felt the point when I started going crazy essentially mm. like yeah. it changed me and I recognized I was like oh my god this is literally driving me crazy and I was like oh wow this is what my patients must feel like who suffer from chronic pelvic pain because that was the closest to pelvic pain, you know, vaginal or perennial pain that I ever experienced. And, and I recognize it in that moment. Wow, I'm living with this for, you know, just a few days at the most, a few weeks at the most. And they and some people live like this for you did for years. Mm -hmm. it does see. it changes who you are it changes who you are it changes your brain you become a different person you do you become a different person is right and that's why it's so important to start identifying identifying who we are without the pain and that's why I make a point of saying that in the beginning like when I introduce myself too but so you were depressed and you were at mm -hmm. your appointment and I was sitting at the end of the hallway, all of a sudden I see, I hear her come in the door. So I'm like, okay, she's coming. And I see her poke her head around the corner and she jumps back. And I'm like, what is going on? And all of a sudden I hear music blasting. And this woman comes dancing down this long hallway, not just a little dancing. She is She's given it all she got and she got and she's dancing down this hallway. So now you have me on oxycodone, like just head down in sweatpants because I couldn't wear anything constrictive, any jeans or anything like that. And I'm like looking up and I'm like, my eyes are looking. I'm like, do I look up? Do I look down? What am I supposed to do with this? I have no idea. And she gets to the end of the hallway. I do nothing with it. I say nothing. I get up and we go in and have our appointment. Now I saw her twice a week and she does this every day, every time for like six months. Wow. Just dances down the end of this hallway. And finally I start watching a little more. I start breaking a smile a little bit. I still have no clue why she's what doing do? it. <laughs> and we never address it. Oh we just God. go in and have our appointment. Wow. All I know is because I had her and because I had someone to talk to, someone that understood, someone that was holding space for me, I was alive. Hmm. And I was counting the days down between appointment dates. So I knew that I had her and that felt good to me. You so, started to look forward to, you had something to look forward to, something positive. And I don't even know if it was that, it was more something to hold on to. It was like, I was grabbing onto that, you know, and I'd be like, okay, three days, two days, one day. Okay. You can make it, you can get to that appointment. So I did start to see changes working with her. And I decided because, you know, she means a lot to me. I knew that she was the reason that I was still alive because I was suicidal at the time, hundred percent. And I said to my daughters, what was happening? And I said, I want to do a dance for her and dance down the hallway. So for three months before her birthday, I remember I started this, I think I started this in like March, April, her birthday was in June. I picked a Mandisa song and every day I started practicing the dance steps and my daughters would help me. Now I'm a really, really bad dancer. And the reason I started doing this so early, like my daughters learned the dance in 30 minutes so that they could help me. It took me three months to learn this dance. And I was practicing and I'd be practicing in the car and wherever I was, I was rehearsing the dance in my head. I was visualizing the steps, remembering the steps. And you got to remember when someone's on Oxy and Clonopin, your memory is affected as well. So I would practice and I would practice. And my daughters, I remember would say, oh, stop the song enough. 
They're like, we can't take it anymore. Anyway, finally it came time for her birthday and I danced down the same hallway for her. That must have been quite the experience. It was really cool. I have to say, um, I was really proud of myself Mm -hmm. that I did it. But the best part of it was that I realized that's when I really realized there was a mind-body connection. And that this dancing was doing something more than just me doing something nice for someone and her doing something nice for me and trying to make me laugh and make me happy. It was creating a habit and a new neural pathway in my brain for joy, Mm -hmm. which was what my body needed and was lacking. I realized it and I put the connection together. I explained to her what was happening, but I really couldn't tell her beforehand I was doing these dances and my pain started shifting because you were planning it for her because I was planning it for her yeah but I realized from that moment on I started having more aha moments Mm, it's beautiful I put together this room that's behind me that I'm in right now I put together the desk and the table and the pictures and I made it a meditation room and my pain was going down I'm like hmm this is interesting I had to get on a plane and go to Florida to take my daughter to a um, soccer tournament. And my pain went down. There were so many aha moments that were starting to come together. So you started to notice that when you were living and experiencing life and doing something else and not thinking about your pain and not making plans for your pain, you you started to get better or you had moments of feeling better. Exactly. I took the focus off my pain. And started putting it toward joy Mm -hmm. and creating other habits in my life. And I say other habits. um, I started making soup because I like to cook. So I'm like, oh, what can I do that I enjoy? Mm. So I started making soup, started getting new recipes and cutting the carrots and cutting the celery and cutting all the different things. It made me think about something different than the pain. And it also brought me joy. And it's actually been something I still do today. Every Sunday night, if you call me Sunday night, after I get home from my parents for dinner, I usually make two big pots of soup. Caitlin always gets one. And I give it to other people in my life because it gives me joy giving people things to. I feel like you experienced all the things that spirituality, it's just going to come up all the time. But Mm -hmm. they talk about you know, in spirituality, I'm not talking about religion, right? But sometimes some religious practices will incorporate these things, or we could just call it spirituality, whatever it is for you. But, you know, the saying, I'm going to butcher it, but it's like where your energy or where your thought goes, energy flows. Yes. Yes. I know exactly what you're saying. Right. So it's like the thing that you focus on good or bad, that's, what you're going to get because you're putting energy towards it. So if you're thinking about your pain, everything is around your pain. You're making appointments for your pain. You wake up, everything you do is because of your pain. That's what you're going to get, more pain. But if you start to think about other things, you specifically were looking for moments of joy, Mm -hmm. right? You started looking for things and lo and behold, you'd find it. (laughs) Exactly. More of that. And the more of that you found, the less pain you had. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And like, you know, I'm sure a lot of you out there who are listening have experienced this. You know, when I was 50, I wanted to buy myself a Reggie Brangler. I really, really thought that I was going to be the only person in Bloomfield, New Jersey with a red Jeep Wrangler. I actually told my nephews, I told my kids, I said, I'm going to be the coolest aunt and the coolest mom in Bloomfield, New Jersey, and the only one with a Reggie Brangler. And then wouldn't you know it? I put it out to the universe. And then all of a sudden, my nephews are texting me, Aunt Laura, guess what? I see a Reggie Brangler on Watch on Ave. Aunt Laura, I see one on East Passaic. I see one. I'm like, oh, man. And then I started seeing them. Exactly. You start to notice it. And it's not that they showed up. Right. Because you said it, they were always there. You just didn't recognize it. And once you put your thoughts and energy towards it, then you open yourself up to basically receive or see it more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But did you receive it? Well, yes. Yeah. I got my Reggie Brangler. That's number one. And when I put that together, 
I started making a list of all my aha moments mm. and more came. Mm-hmm. They're there. They're always there. They're it's there. Just, are you open to receive? First of all, are you open to seeing it? Yes. Then you have to receive it. Exactly. So this is when I really realized that there was another world out there and another way. So I decided to get rid of my appointments, no more doctors, no more researching, no more Googling, no more talking about my pain. And I will tell you that came from Caitlin because Mm. one day I was crying and I was canceling my appointment. Um, I was a bad patient. Let me tell you, (laughs) I really, really was. I think I'm much better now because I still see her. Because like I said, I'm on a journey. She said to me, what would it be like if we just didn't talk about your pain for 30 days? And I sat there and my mouth went open and I stopped crying. Mm. And I said, I was willing to give it a try. How did it go? And I did it. I didn't talk about my pain. And I shifted my focus to what was happening in my life. And I shifted my focus to my nervous system by regulating it. And I shifted my focus to looking at the emotions that were happening in my life, the feelings I was having that I really didn't want to look at. I shifted it to what was important and what I needed to be shifting on it to, because the pain was just like a decoy for me, right? It was just a way to distract me from what was really happening in my life. So if we go back to the beginning of your story, when you started having these physical symptoms and we're going to the doctor and they were looking for physical things and they were treating it with physical, you know, procedures and techniques and it didn't do anything that's because it was not physical to begin with. Correct. I have something called a psychosomatic disorder, which is not a bad thing. It's actually a great, great thing. So if you've gotten diagnosed with a mind-body condition, it's a good thing because you can retrain the brain. The brain works in programming and in habits. And if we have a mind-body condition, we can reprogram the brain through different mind-body tools, through breath work, through somatics, and so many other different tools out there. Mm -hmm. So it's actually not a bad diagnosis. But I will say, just because I have mind-body conditions, they are so real. For someone who's like, what the heck is mind-body condition, right? So my my definition, and it's essentially what we're going to talk about. Yeah throughout this whole podcast with different people, my definition is a mental or emotional condition that needs your attention, right? We'll try to get your attention in different ways, but the more we ignore it, the bigger that tension grab is until it's screaming and then eventually it manifests into something physical so it can get your attention. Mm-hmm. And then it continues to grow and grow and grow until eventually something you cannot ignore right exactly but it's an emotional or mental I don't even want to say condition right it's a mental or emotional thing that you need to address that manifests into something physical Mm -hmm. but addressing the physical is not gonna fix it you have to get to the root cause of the emotional and mental so that was where your journey led you to Mm -hmm. once you were challenged to not talk about your pain for 30 days, then you were forced to really go deeper. Exactly. And the brain sees emotions as being dangerous because like how many times out there where anyone said, oh, stop, you're being too sensitive Mm. or knock it off by a parent, right? Or even the other way, let's say you were being silly. Stop being so silly. Like we are taught sometimes, hopefully not all of us, to suppress our emotions. That that's not okay. It's not okay to be silly. It's not okay to be sensitive. Mm -hmm. It's not okay to get angry. Right. You're not choosing to be that way. You're expressing what comes naturally to you. And then you're told, don't be that way. Exactly. So now the brain thinks that's dangerous. And And for people who don't believe this, right, your thoughts have physiological response, Mm -hmm. which is why like when you watch a movie or you think of something 
scary or harmful or something, your body responds to it, right? So like someone could be telling you a story about a scary moment and you realize my palms are sweaty, my heart's beating fast, right? And that's because your thoughts can generate a physiological response. Still don't believe it. Think about your boss who pissed you off last week and see if you Mm -hmm. get pissed off again. Yeah, exactly. Thoughts produce a sympathetic response in our nervous system. Mm -hmm. And if you don't believe Canel, do what she said. Think about that boss. Or even what I have people do is I have them close their eyes. And even if you're out there, if you want to do that right now, close your eyes, just listen as I even say five words and just tune into your body for a moment. If I was to say dangerous, war, pandemic, disease, illness, take a moment and just notice what you feel in your body. I don't know about you, but me, I got an awful feeling in my stomach. My whole chest got tight. Yeah. As soon as you said the first word, it I felt the tightness. Just, it was a lot. It was yes. a lot, right? Yeah. But if you do the opposite, and if you close your eyes again, and if I say peaceful, rainbows, ocean, laughter, hugs. Just notice what you feel in your body now. More likely smiling, right? And just feeling better and more calm and probably took a deep breath or a sigh somewhere in there. So it's, it's learning. I learned that there was such a connection with my emotions, with my thoughts and with my nervous system. And once you can become aware of this, Awareness is the key to changing the whole thing. So it's not a bad thing if you have a mind-body condition. It's a good thing because we have the tools. You have the tools exactly. You know, we all have our own innate healing abilities. Mm -hmm. It's just becoming aware of them, Mm -hmm. that they're there. So I got lucky. And that's why I do what I do right now. I decided from that moment on, once I got better and I didn't have chronic pain anymore. However, I will tell you, People ask me all the time, do you have pain? Do you still have pain? And I say, everybody has pain. I can't take away a stressful day from someone and then them coming home with a headache. But do I have chronic pain? No. And do I know how to address it if I do get something? Right. That's really the key. And I had this very conversation with several of my patients this week. They don't need me anymore because I've talked to them about the tools we practice them together they can pull them out when they need them and they can utilize them to come out of that situation out of the fight or flight Mm -hmm. back into parasympathetic or they can use it to sort of get to a baseline where they can at least be more aware Mm -hmm. of what's going on so they can get through because Sometimes stress is just going to be there. You have a deadline at work. Mind-body practices aren't going to take the deadline away. Mm-hmm. But it at least gives you a baseline where it's like, okay, I can be aware that this is a stressful situation. And then from there, you have choice. Am I going to let it control me? Or am I going to take control of the situation? Mm-hmm. When I feel my heart racing, am I going to notice that? Or am I just going to let it run? Exactly. It's catching that trigger. So when you see the first sign of you going into a sympathetic state, it's when you can use those tools. Now, if you don't see it, because then it takes some time. It takes practice. It takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of practice. And sometimes the pain will come back, but take it as a signal. Yes. Take it as a signal. My body is signaling to me that something's wrong, that I need to go back and look at the emotional aspect of what's happening in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And then in the future, you can find that trigger. Yep. When, oh, I'm getting a little activated. Right. Yeah. I have said it several times this week, <laughs> um, but I do say it often. The body doesn't do anything by accident. Mm-hmm. Everything that happens is a sign or a signal. The body's trying to get your attention. And if you don't listen, it gets louder. 
mm-hmm. and more intense. So you want to catch it from the very beginning, the very subtle ways that your body tries to communicate with you. And I have a deck of affirmation cards. And one of them is, um, of course, I'm going to butcher my own my own affirmation, but it's basically that the body holds wisdom. Mm, right? yes. And the affirmation is I take time to listen to the signs that my body sends me. Mm-hmm. And I listen to the wisdom of my body because it does. You said it. The body knows how to heal itself. Yeah. And it's so if you look trying it to like- get your attention so yeah. that you can give it the tools or utilize mm-hmm. the tools that it needs to actually heal. Exactly. Exactly. And if you can think of it the way you just said, that this is a wisdom, it can take the fear out of it. We get so scared be like, oh, this is a signal instead right. of, oh my God, I'm in pain. Yeah. And even if, like some people don't like the word wisdom. I don't know why, but some people don't. But I suggest be curious. Mm, yes. Curiosity cannot be fear, right? You mm-hmm. cannot be fearful and curious, right? Because, you know, curiosity kills a cat because they're not fearful. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> right? It's true. So if you're curious, you have a sensation or you notice something, be curious. Huh. I wonder what that's about. I wonder what that means. What is my body trying to tell me? And mm-hmm. if you can sit and be quiet and really feel, the answer will come because the answer is already there. You know what to do. It's just about listening for the response, waiting for the response, and then taking action. on that. Yeah. And since you brought up sensations, because it's such an important thing, you know, we have these sensations in our body that our brain like think they're dangerous. But one of the things that I've done since I've healed, and it's, you know, always, it's always still a healing journey, right? Always from a healing this, journey. From this um, pain condition is I became a somatic experiencing practitioner. When you talk about sensations, we're always thinking about the sensations in our body that hurt, that aren't as comfortable as we would like, right? Mm -hmm. But one of the things I do with the somatics is I teach people that there are other sensations in our body. There's positive sensations, there's neutral sensations, there's tingling sensations. And for those of you that, you know, aren't even sure what I'm talking about right now, I just, I'm going to ask you, even if you just take your hand, right, and put it to hang kind of in front of you. So it's just hanging in front of you with your palm down and just letting it hang. And you can hold with your other hand at your elbow if you want. Just start to notice your hand and notice the palm. Notice the top of your hand. Sense into each finger. And just notice if you feel a weight or a tingling, a temperature. And I'll bet most of you, before we even did that, didn't even realize your hand was attached to your body. You weren't paying attention to it, right? But there's sensations that are all over your body that are neutral, positive sensations. And I teach people how to lean into those as well through somatics, which is great. This is why I love a good body scan. And I will do body scans with a lot of people too, because we often go through our day without noticing, without stopping to recognize how do we feel Mm -hmm. Feel your feet against the ground. I mean, foot meditation, you can Mm -hmm. meditate on your feet, feeling the pressure of your feet into the ground. If you're standing or if you're sitting with your feet flat on the ground, feel each toe, Mm -hmm. feel the arch, feel the space between the arch, feel the air on top of the top of your feet, but the groundedness, the surface and the texture of whatever your feet are on. You can do that with any part of your body. Feel the tongue, feel your tongue in your mouth. Where is it resting? Mm -hmm. On the roof, on the bottom, on the side? Now is your mouth open? (laughs) Are Mm -hmm. your lips touching fully? I mean, we can go on forever. Exactly. But this is why knowing how to come back into our body and be grounded Mm -hmm. is so effective because it one puts you in the moment. Yeah. And I think when you were talking about one of the things that started to help you started, you know, putting your energy into different places, but you started to notice all of these things because you were being more present. Exactly. And when it comes to our body, when there's a a body dysfunction, right? Sensations or pain in the body, we tend to want to leave the body. 
right? Mm-hmm. We want to get away from it. Oh, let's not feel it because it's, mm-hmm. it's unpleasant. And we have to learn how to be in our body to really sense. And I do meditations too around pain or sensations, like find the borders of it. Exactly. What color is it? How does it feel? Is it heavy? Right. If you had to paint a picture of it, what would it look like? And this is a meditation I will guide my patients through. Right. And they'll come up with a whole picture of what it feels like. And then slowly and slowly, we will start to change it. Um, And yeah, this is where the whole mind body practice comes in because this is a mind body practice. We're grounding you and using neuroscience and psychology and all the things to really change your relationship with the pain so you can have a better relationship with it and recognize when you're ready not right away but when you're ready that the pain is there for you it's not happening to you and ultimately the goal is for you to recognize what is it that you have been neglecting this ain't for everybody some people's pain are physical Mm -hmm. but some of it is not yes we should say that because there are things that are physical and we should always get checked out by a doctor always absolutely you want to rule out all the things that could potentially and possibly be and each time they come back with something different or say it's nothing there then you might want to consider could this possibly be be mind body if Mm -hmm. i do a meditation or focus on joy or do a breath work or go do yoga or be with my family or laugh therapy go watch comedy or whatever makes you laugh until you're you know you're crying or rolling on the Mm -hmm. floor do you feel better Mm mm-hmm And if you do, that is a clue, mind body. Yeah. So it's like, start making note of all these little aha moments of all these little things, because if you were doing something fun and you realized your pain went down or went away and it was, let's say a painful spot in your back that you have that bothers you all the time. And then you go and have fun and it goes away. Did you leave your back home (laughs) or did your back come with you to have that fun? It was there the whole time. (laughs) It was there the whole time. So, and that's when I started doing breath work. And that's another thing that I started doing. I became a breath work facilitator because I started doing breath work. I read it in a book. I didn't even know it was a thing. And when I started doing it, I realized my pain changes. And I was like, Hmm, this has to be my body. It was too much evidence that it wasn't my body, too much evidence. So, you know, I changed my life around. I always say I'm still on a healing journey. Always. It's always a journey for everybody. Always a journey. (laughs) But with this pain that I had came um, a way of me helping other people through somatic experiencing, through breath work and through mind body tools. And, you know, I love sharing this with people because I hope that by me sharing my story and us doing this podcast, we can help people not go down the same road that I did or, and and they have to discover it on their own. You know, they have to get there on their own, but maybe this can bring a more awareness and bring them a little quicker and enlighten them a little more. Oh, maybe this is me too. Even if it helps just one person, exactly. I'm sure it will or help other people. And that's what really brought us together because I'm on the medical side, right? I'm in the health profession side as a pelvic floor physical therapist, but I am more mind, body, spirit oriented. And that's how we met. And we really connected because we do share a very similar journey, but I'm doing it through my work as a physical therapist and you're doing it through your work as a somatic experiencing practitioner, breathwork facilitator, but ultimately we're both mind body practitioners. Exactly. And the goal is the same. We just want to give people uh, tools, the tools that, you know, they already have within themselves Mm -hmm. um, and bring them out. And so that they can experience a life without chronic symptoms as well so the goal is the same well it was great to hear your story you know Thank the you. whole thing and how it led to who you are today and who knows tomorrow it may be different but either way today this is who you are and what you're doing and I appreciate what you're doing and I think a lot of other people appreciate what you're doing as well 
So yeah, this is Thank great. You. Thank you. And I can't wait because next week, hopefully, um, we will hear all about you. Me, right. How I sort of moved into this direction. And yeah, so you'll hear a little bit more about my story. Thanks for joining and for listening and tune in next week for more discussion. If you'd like to leave us a message or ask a question, please check the show notes with the link so you can reach us directly or email us at beyondthepelvis at gmail.com. Thank you.